Welcome to the Perspectives on Healthcare podcast, where members of the medical community from different roles, venues, and locations share their unique perspectives on quality healthcare, its future, and how to improve it. Now, from the Your Keynote Speaker Studio in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, here is your host, Rob Oliver. Thank you, and welcome back to Perspectives on Healthcare. My perspective today comes from Nicholas Smith. Now, I have to tell you that when you're starting a podcast, the first thing that you do is you go shake the tree of friends and family. And uh, Nicholas, when I shook the tree, Nicholas fell out of it, which was fantastic. He is, uh, he is a friend. Of, no, he is, his mom is a friend of mine from when I was in the hospital when I was like 16 years old. And we've maintained contact. And I, so I remember his parents before he was born. And now here he comes <laughs> and he joins us today. He is a pediatric psychology postdoctoral fellow down in Tampa, Florida. He is a Generation Y member, which makes him a millennial. And um, he joins us today. Nicholas, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me, Rob. I'm really happy to be here. Absolutely. So let's jump right into this. And tell me about yourself and your role in healthcare. Well, I, first of all, I want to give you a shout out. I appreciate the walk down memory lane. My mom will be thrilled to hear she got a shout out, but she still talks about those interactions and uh, how you as a patient touched her life. So that's, that's really uh, great to hear. Um, but just a little bit about my position. So like you said, I'm a pediatric psychology postdoctoral fellow at Johns Hopkins All Children's Hospital. Um, we're at the St. Petersburg campus. So we are affiliated with um, Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. Um, I'm really lucky in my current position. I kind of have a wide array of pediatric psychology specialties that I touch on. So 50% of my time is for children with oncology and hematology concerns. And that follows inpatient during the hospitalizations, assessments for bone marrow transplants, and also on an outpatient basis. And then around another 30% of my time is for general pediatrics um, and with a heavy emphasis on diabetes, just based on the population we serve. So I do um, we, what we call consultation liaison services for inpatient. So if I have a kid who comes in with a new illness, we assist with coping and connecting them with the subsequent supports that they need. And also if they need linkage with mental health or some other form of behavioral health supports that we're not qualified to give at the hospital, we'll link them in with that. And then the rest of my time, you know, 10 to 20% of my time uh, is devoted to research. So I'm really excited to be staying at All Children's for a second year of fellowship to be completing a um, telehealth study focused on promoting resilience in youth diagnosed, newly diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and their families. And that uh, is a grant that's funded by the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. And so that's a as my second year of fellowship transitions and kind of begins, I think I'm going to have a little more research time probably built in there just with the grant and stuff. Um, like I said, I have a real cool role of clinical and applied work, you know, being in patients' rooms and then also um, on the research side of things as well. Okay. So I, I think I understood this. Do you do some outpatient work as well? So you're working with the inpatient and then um, yep. are you kind of doing transition work where you're doing a little bit of work with them as an outpatient to get them to another level, like to another professional, or are you able to kind of see your patients from, you know, from inpatient 
all the way through the outpatient process. How does that work for you? Yep, no, definitely the latter. You know, I, I see kids, um, you know, I, I, like I have an example, one family I'm working with now, I had their kid when he was diagnosed with, or um, sorry, their daughter was diagnosed with um, a rare form of cancer, completed the bone marrow transplant, had some anticipatory anxiety before that. So we did some like exposure and preemptive things before the transplant. So I kind of like thinking about this patient, it was sort of initially inpatient, then outpatient, then back to inpatient. Now, then it was outpatient, post-successful transplant. And then uh, I know she actually had to be admitted for a uh, some fever concerns. So like I said, it definitely goes back and forth. I have a really, uh, a lot of array of settings that I get to work in. Yeah. And that's gotta be really cool because they, they have you as a, as a constant, so to speak mm-hmm. that, that they know that they're always going to get a chance to speak with Dr. Smith, Dr. Nicholas, whatever the, the cool name is that, um, that you get to go by. Uh, tell me then what is your definition of quality healthcare? Sure. So I, when I was thinking about what quality healthcare means to me, a couple of things stood out. So the first coming from a psychology background, you know, I really value a multidisciplinary approach to healthcare. You know, a lot of people, um, even some of the residents I work with, you know, they, they really come to us as the experts in like the mind body connection and how that can play a role. So I really value that interdisciplinary and multidisciplinary approach to addressing healthcare concerns, whether it's, you know, how a parent and their, how a patient and their family is responding to a new illness, whether it is, uh, um, you know, coping with comorbid mental health concerns or anxieties about their illness, just really kind of looking at those uh, things as combined, essentially, you know, you can't have good mental health without physical health and you can't have good physical health without mental health. Another thing that really stands out to me, and I think this definitely comes from my psychology background when we talk about quality health care, is I'm always trying to really focus my clinical care on health promoting behaviors as opposed to like a health compromising or a detrimental approach. You know, in psychology, we talk about how the absence of um, depression or the absence of anxiety does not necessarily mean you're happy. So I like to think about just because you're not obese, doesn't mean that you're thriving, you know, physically, or just because you take your insulin, you know, three times a day and you still get away with your A1Cs and that seven range that your doctors and endocrinologists want doesn't mean you're thriving. So I I really try and instill health promotion and health promoting behaviors, um, particularly in the population I work with, which is, you know, pediatrics. So uh, much of like a two or three years old up to 21 or 22 years old. Okay. And then, and then if I could just say one last thing, sure. the last piece that I think about when I talk about health quality healthcare is um, feasibility and acceptability. So I know sometimes, you know, medical providers and psychologists alike, we might make recommendations that aren't acceptable to patients or aren't realistic. And, you know, coming from a research background and in graduate school, that, that feasibility piece, and is this something that's going to work when they leave the hospital is something that I also think is a real part of quality healthcare should be considered. And it also really helps when you have that multidisciplinary approach to look at some of those social determinants and things that might uh, really impact the care and subsequent health of our patients. Okay. So I love what you're saying there. And I guess I was, I interrupted, almost interrupted you because I was so excited that my, the one thing that you're talking about is, um, you know, the, just because certain things are absent doesn't mean that um, other things are present. Okay. And mm-hmm. I, I give my analogy on this is you've heard the expression about happy wife, happy life. Uh, <laughs> and 
I actually don't believe that that's true. And I think that this goes right into your point. Okay. And mm -hmm. the fact that just because your wife is happy doesn't mean that you are going to be happy. However, the converse <laughs> is true, which is unhappy wife, unhappy life. So, uh, you know, if your wife is not happy, then it's going to be very difficult for you to be happy. Her happiness doesn't necessarily guarantee that you're going to be happy. It, it puts you in an arena where it is much more likely and much more probable. And it, it, it works through that way. Uh, so, yeah, so I know that you have a fiance. Take that as uh, advice for the road. Uh, can, I, I, I will. Um, you've, you've kind of given me an example already, but um, can you think of any other examples of quality healthcare? Yeah, one of the things I really, um, that I really love about my job is my work. And I did this as a resident at the University of Miami and then now at Johns Hopkins is I really like specialty clinic work. And the reason I love specialty clinic work is because, you know, you get to address a lot of times in, in my cases, it was children with cystic fibrosis and then with uh, type one and type two diabetes. And you re they really get the whole gambit. I know the appointments might go long sometimes for patients and that's sort of a, you know, acceptability and feasibility thing that we're always trying to address. But I really love when everything just flows so smoothly. So like, for example, you know, tomorrow's Tuesday morning, I'll walk in the diabetes clinic um, the nurse practitioner will see the patient and then our social worker will see them. Then I'll see them and do a psychosocial screening with them. And then, um, you know, we kind of meet as a team after for each patient and in between, and we might say, oh, they need more education. They have to go to one of our dark classes or, hey, they could really benefit from some counseling to help them facilitate adherence. And I, I just really think that team approach is something that I've really valued. And I really find it in those specialty clinics um, not only because, you know, you have capacities and systems in place to support our youth, but everyone just sort of has a routine and a role and we know what has worked before with similar patients. Obviously, we tailor care to make sure that uh, it meets the individual needs of the patient and family. But that's just a time where I've really seen great quality health care as in those specialty clinics that everyone's involved. Wonderful. A quick definition for me. You said a, a DART class? Um, oh. Yeah, it's a it's a diabetes re-education um, class. So it would just okay. be um, sometimes, you know, the American Diabetes Association, for that example, um, recommends like annual or biannual education for families, even if they've been, you know, thriving. Okay. It's just important, you know, as kids age, you know, to maybe go back and be like, oh, you know, you're getting ready to go through puberty. How's that going to affect your blood sugar levels or, you know, your diet and everything? So um, DART is just a, a re-education class, okay. which is something that I do as a pediatric psychologist is, you know, a lot of education about it. No problem. We we swim in a sea of alphabet soup, and I just was trying to make sure that I understood what we're what we're talking about. Uh, what do you wish people understood about your role in healthcare? Yeah, um, that's a really good question. Um, I don't want to like lean on the old adage that people think psychology is just talking about your feelings, but that really is a component of it. You know, one thing that I really always try to emphasize is that I'm a behavioral health provider. You know, during my graduate training and even some of my outpatient cases, you know, I do a lot of parent management training and, you know, psychology, you know, shifting behaviors for, I, I always say to parents, you know, shifting your kid's behavior is not necessarily hard, but the consistency is hard. You know, changing a habit is hard. Having them, their ability to catch themselves, the way they're talking to their kids, the way they're directing their kids to engage in some medical treatment is really difficult. And so I sometimes think there are some, uh, professionals or disciplines, you might say, oh, you know, the psychologist is here. They're just going to try to make them feel better. Whereas like I look at it as a behavioral health provider, what I can do to make it 
uh, easier for you. You know, back back to the specialty clinic example, I always say to all my patients, you know, you know, I'm here to see if we can talk about one behavior today. And if that's one thing that we can tweak and twist and make it that it's easier for you and you have less distress over managing your illness, then I'm doing my job. So that's sort of uh, what I like to think of yeah. in that case. So I think what I'm hearing you say is that a lot of people have the mistaken understanding that it's just about feelings. And what you're talking about is not necessarily feelings. You're talking about actual behaviors, which makes a whole mm-hmm. lot of sense and, and is very helpful. Um, I think I might know the answer to this based on the grant that you're looking at with um, kids with, uh, with their initial diagnosis of diabetes. Mm-hmm. But what excites you about the future of healthcare? Um, so a lot of things, um, particularly, you know, I think the pandemic um, has made it that people are starting to recognize the impact of mental health, not only on the functioning of, you know, our patients with various illnesses, but also on providers, you know, compassion fatigue is a real thing, you know, Um, burnout, you know, and burnout can be not only, you know, for caregivers, but also for people with various illnesses. Um, I am excited about the application of telemedicine. You know, I was very, um, it's interesting too, how when you're kind of living in the moment, you see how things can be altered based on your circumstances. And the example I have is, you know, I do a lot of parent training, like I said, parent management training. And um, when I was a resident, I came in already certified as a therapist in something called parent-child interaction therapy. And it, it's for kids with disruptive behaviors. So again, some of that behavioral shaping piece, which, um, but I, when I was on internship, I was able to get a level up. I can, I'm a trainer now. I can train people in this type of therapy. And when the pandemic happened, you know, we don't, before that, we'd always done it in a lab setting, but then we had to kind of shift to an online telehealth modality. And, you know, we were all really apprehensive and anxious about like, what's this going to look like? It's in the people's homes, you know, my goodness, what if something happens? And so many parents had so much more um, enjoyment and acceptability of it because they were at their home. It wasn't in a lab setting. They're like, Hey, I can implement these interventions when I'm at home, we can problem solve it here. Like, Hey, this didn't work in this room or, you know, the setup we have here doesn't facilitate adherence to that for that behavior. Um, so to me, it's uh, I really enjoy the telemedicine component of things as well and um, ensuring accessibility to our at-risk populations. Um, and then finally, just from a research perspective, I also really um, am fascinated just in the research being done about social determinants of health and how we know, you know, where you sleep matters and where the food you eat really matters. And, you know, all of those compiled effects of various risk and protective factors can really contribute to the overall health long term. Yeah. When you were talking about telehealth telehealth and, you know, even meeting in people's homes, there is a territorial element to it that when they're coming into Mm -hmm. the office, they're coming into your environment. When Mm -hmm. they are, when you're going into the home, making a home visit, you're in their environment. And with the telehealth, it allows you both to somehow kind of be in your own environments, which is very, very interesting dynamic. Last question for you is what is one thing that medical professionals can start doing today to improve the quality of healthcare? One thing I notice um, with medical professionals in particular is sometimes they want to jump right to the meat and potatoes of the situation. You know, um, like I said, I work a lot with kids with, you know, in oncology and sometimes, um, you know, pediatric leukemia is very treatable. You know, there's a 98%, um, you know, success rate, I believe, survival rate. And I sometimes think medical professionals jump right to that. Like your kid has cancer, but they're also going to be fine. It's going to be okay. 
Whereas, you know, in psychology, we always talk about like the importance of like validating people's emotions. And so I always think it's important to just, I know that the healthcare system is very strapped right now with the pandemic, but even just taking a moment and sitting with a patient or validating their distress. And it's really hard to know that you're going to have to go through all this, or, you know, it's a really distressful circumstance, or your heart must have just fallen out of your chest the last couple of days when you've seen your baby get all these tests. Um, so I just like to think of that kind of pause and really, uh, having patient-centered care always be the center of your actions is something um, that we as psychologists always try and uh, uh, evoke. And I know that there are many providers who do that, but that's just one thing that I've really recognized is that sometimes it's always about the outcomes as opposed to the, the moment, just taking the moment to deal with those emotions with people. Yeah, to deal with the emotions and to basically to meet people where they are instead of mm-hmm. pushing to where they're going to be at some point in the future. I, I Very sage advice. I love it. Uh, Nicholas, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate your perspective on healthcare. Thanks for listening to Perspectives on Healthcare. Visit perspectivesonhealthcare.com to learn more about Rob Oliver or to subscribe so you never miss an episode. If this podcast was valuable, we'd appreciate a review on iTunes. Or if you tell a friend or coworker about the show, that would be helpful too. Join us again next time for more Perspectives on Healthcare.